John chapter 1 verse 11. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to minister tonight, I want to teach from the word of the Lord, that to those who believed on him, he gave power to become. We know he gave us power to become the sons or the children of God, but I want to speak about this power to become. God bless you, please be seated. Amen. Well, there's an inconvenient truth that we all need to realize, and that is that without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. And Jesus taught that, that we're like the, the, he's the vine and we're the branches, and if we cut off his life in ours, that without him, we can do nothing, nothing of eternal value, and if he was to remove the breath of life, we could do literally nothing at all. We are powerless to overcome sin, to develop holiness, to be a witness. We're powerless to do any of those things in our own ability. The Bible said that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It was a teacher. And one of the things the Old Testament taught us is that you cannot serve God by willpower alone. We're not strong enough holy enough in ourselves to live for God alone. Romans 8 and 3 said that the law was weak through the flesh. Now the Old Testament law, the moral law of God, is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. But without that, with that law being imposed on mankind, it was impossible to live for God. God's moral nature was and continues to be perfect, but our ability, humankind's inability to live up to God's moral perfection proved that without Him, we can do nothing. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul paints a vivid picture of someone trying to live for God without the power of the Spirit. It introduces us to chapter 8, which I believe really is the theme of of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I'm reading the New Living Translation. Paul said, The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong... This shows that I agree that the law is good. Our conscience smites us. We know that we're not doing the right thing, but powerless to do the right thing. This is a person without the Spirit. So he said, I am not the one doing wrong. It's sin that is in me that is working in me. The law is good. I agree with that. And Paul said, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, 
not really the one doing it, sin that's in me. It doesn't mean you're excused for that, but it is sin in us. Paul says this in verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power, another law within me, that is at war in my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And he cries out like this in verse 24. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And ushers us into Romans 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So here is a picture of a person who is living like an Old Testament saint of God or an unregenerated person. And I would say that even people who are spirit-filled but not spirit-led, not spirit-controlled, this describes life without spirituality. This describes life without Jesus Christ empowering you. But Jesus Christ came to give us the power to become the sons of God. And while without Him we can do nothing, the Bible is very clear that the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 4.13, For I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So in this message tonight, what I really want to focus on is that God has given us the power to become the children of God and the power to overcome sin, the power to live an overcoming life. When you read the Gospels, uh, they're amazing, the four-dimensional presentation of the words and works of Jesus Christ. And uh, I love how the Lord brilliantly allowed these four Gospels to, uh, to tell the story of the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. One of the striking features of the Gospels are the genealogies. They may be boring to read, but they're intriguing to study. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or excuse me, John rather, give us gene genealogies of Jesus. Matthew, Luke, and John. Matthew, Luke, John. Mark gives no genealogy. I'll get that right if I just look at my notes. So Matthew is, the, is more the Jewish Christian gospel. It reveals Jesus Christ through the lens of Judaism, uh, 40 Old Testament quotes, 60 Old Testament references. He shows that Jesus is the kingly Messiah of Jewish prophecy. And Matthew gives us a genealogy, and he proves that Jesus Christ is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it's a descending genealogy. Matthew 1 and 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He wants to prove that Jesus Christ is the kingly Messiah of Jewish prophecy. Now Luke writes with a warm human touch, more of the Gentile Christian gospel, and Luke wants us to see, he traces the lineage all the way back to Adam. It's an ascending genealogy, and you can read this in Luke 3, 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. He traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. But John, John is this amazing, unique gospel. Some people call it 
the supplement gospel. There are some things written in John that are not recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those synoptic gospels. That means to view together. They have a similar view of the life of Christ. John, he gives the divine genealogy of Jesus Christ. He doesn't trace the genealogy of Jesus back to David or Abraham. He doesn't go back to Abraham. John takes us to his father, God. John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So you can slide to verse 14 when he kind of goes to the next thought. And everything in between is obviously very important. Verse 14. And the Word, the Word that was in the beginning, the Word that created everything that is in, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of Almighty God, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an amazing thing that John wants us to understand who Jesus was. He wants us to see the divinity of Jesus Christ. And in this magnificent passage, John chapter 1, John paints the picture of Jesus Christ coming to earth. We call it the incarnation, God in flesh. John 1 and 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. There's a songwriter that maybe stole some, some uh, music and said the great creator became our savior, and all God's fullness dwelleth in him. Paul wrote it like this in Colossians 2 and 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. But John let's us see what appears to be the failure of the incarnation. In John 1 and 10, John uses the word world three times. He, Jesus, was in the world. He, Jesus, the world was made by him. Now, I want to pause right here because John is talking about Jesus, that Jesus was in the world and the world was made by him. If you're a oneness Pentecostal, that makes perfect sense to you that we understand who Jesus was. Amen? He was in the world, and the world was made by Jesus Christ because Jesus was God in flesh. Paul told us in Romans 1 and 3, concerning the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus the man was the Son of God. The world... He was in the world, he made the world, but then John said the world knew him not. What a tragedy that God would come to earth and the, be in the world that he created and the world would not even know him. Verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But I want to focus on right now he came into his own. You could translate these words, he came home. He didn't just come to earth, he came to Palestine. He came to Israel. He came to 
Bethlehem. He came to the place where his people lived. He came home. This is an amazing insight into the original language that when God became flesh, he didn't just come to this world to a place outside of Israel, but he came where he should have been at home. He came to Israel. If he would have come to some other nation, it would have been bad enough. But Israel was God's special people. The word in flesh would come to his own people and he would have expected them to know him. But, but John said he came into his own and his own received him not. Now the previous verse said they did not know him. But verse 11 does not say they did not know him. It says they did not receive him. They should have known who he was. Amen? But even knowing who he was, they rejected him. John is referring to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, his own people. And rather than receiving him, they rejected him. One commentator just to me brilliantly said, this passage is full of pathos and the epitome of our Savior's earthly history. When the kingly babe came there, there was no room in the inn. That's how it started. He came to his own and there was no room for him in the end. Later he has to flee to Egypt to get away from murderous Herod who was trying to take him out. He ends his ministry by being hated, reviled, a conspiracy to kill him. At last the Sanhedrin that I preached about with Nicodemus on Sunday condemns him to die with the approval of Pilate. Pontius Pilate chooses a robber and his own people say, away with him, crucify him. He came to his own, his own received him not. Even in his own hometown of Nazareth where he grew up, those people there sought to put him to death. They tried to stone him there. The Bible said that in his own hometown of Nazareth that he did not do many mighty works. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 6, also in Matthew 13, that a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do here no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Now, there were many religious people who had preconceived ideas about the Messiah. They rejected Jesus for not fitting the profile that they had created. They in their mind thought that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the oppression of Rome. But really Jesus came to deliver them from the bondage of sin. The rejection though by his own people in his generation was not really anything new to the mindset of the Jewish people for centuries. Isaiah wrote about them and I want you to see this because the sharp contrast of those who rejected him to those who received him and I know who I want to be, amen? And I want to have the power to become the son or a child of God. Isaiah said, all day long I've opened my arms to a rebellious people, speaking of the Lord. But they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens, they burn incense to pagan altars. God's people in the days of Isaiah. Jeremiah wrote about the rejection of Israel, of the Lord. 
For from the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. Stephen, the first known martyr of the Christian church, he recounted the history of Israel and how throughout their history they had rejected the prophets that the Lord sent them. In the culmination of his message in Acts 7, 51, Stephen said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? They have slain which have showed before the coming of the just one and of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Stephen said that this attitude has been an intergenerational attitude. Your forefathers were like this. And now, when last of all he sent his son, they rejected and put him to death. So when you see what John is saying, that he came to his own, and his own received him not, then you understand how privileged we are to have had an opportunity to even know him because of the rejection of his own people. John 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. When I was preparing and got to this place in my notes, I just felt like I needed to stop in my study and say, thank you, Lord, for giving me a heart for you, to putting something in me that wanted to love you and serve you. Amen? Why don't we do that now and just say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I wanted to go through this passage because I wanted you to see the attitude of Israel. And this is really not part of my message. But there are people in our culture who have a Bible, who have been exposed to the presence of God, but they reject Jesus Christ in their lives. They will not listen to His voice. They quench the Holy Ghost. Amen? They reject the move of God's Spirit in their lives, in their churches. They want it quiet. They want it controlled. They reject the presence of God. And I think it's important for us to understand how vital it is for us to make sure that we never push away the love of God or the power of God. Amen. Most of us sitting here and watching online are, we're called Gentiles. And if you're not a Jew, that's who you are. It doesn't matter your racial background, your culture, creed, language. If you're not a Jew, we're all here in the same boat. We're called Gentiles. And the Bible refers to Gentiles in Romans chapter 11 as a wild olive branch. Some of you, that's maybe what you were like before you came to God, a wild olive branch. Paul writes about it in Romans eleven seventeen, New Living Translation. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing 
God has promised Abraham and his children sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. I believe that refers to the people of faith all the way throughout the Bible. But then Paul said, but you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You're just a branch, you're not the root. So he's saying to this Gentile church, don't ever start thinking that you're really something because God allowed you an opportunity to be saved. He said, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. But Paul said, yes, but remember those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe. Amen? To many to whoever believed, he gave power to become the sons of God. So I want you to see the importance, amen, of living a life of faith and believing in Jesus Christ and allowing his spirit to work in your life. Paul said, and there because they, you, uh, excuse me, and he, they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what can happen. For if God did not spare the original branches, He won't spare you either. What's amazing, it doesn't take much for people to go on an ego trip. To get self-righteous and feel like God owes them something. Amen? Those of us who have been around the church most of our lives, people, they say, I've been in the way 60 years. I say, get out of the way. I know what you mean. We should be so grateful for the grace of God that gave us an opportunity to believe and to be saved. Amen? Verse 12 again. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. We are the children of God, not on our own, not by our lineage, not by our heritage, but because God has adopted us into His family. As Paul said in Romans, He he grafted us in, amen, and He put this wild olive branch, this ungodly Gentile world into the family of God. Now in this passage, when Paul uses sons, the original means children. It's more generic than just males. And salvation is, the Holy Ghost that we've received gives us power over sin. But in John 1 and 12, when he said to them, gave ye the power to become the sons of God, it's not the same as Acts 1 and 8, that dunamis, that dynamite power to witness. Here, it means the authority or the privilege. In other words, with God, he has given us a standing with God. Now, I know we have power over sin, but here it talks about our right to belong to God and be the children of God, that we are not illegitimate, that we are legitimate. We are spiritually, legally adopted into the family of God. We are no longer orphans or outsiders, but we are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Our status has changed, amen, from outsiders to family members. Amen. Verse 13, which were born. These words are so important in every phrase. 
which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John is very clear that those who are born of God, it is not because of how they were born naturally, right? Not how they were born of blood. So no pedigree is needed. Amen. I'm kind of saying this again because when a person comes to God, first generation, and they look back and they can't find a decent person in their family tree or whatever, but that doesn't matter at all, amen? Because we have this standing with God. It doesn't matter. Your DNA, your lineage, your heritage, it means absolutely nothing. The Jews prided themselves on being Abraham's children, and they trusted in that. You know, they said, we're Abraham. See, we've never been in bondage to any man. They lied right to Jesus. They'd always been in bondage. Egypt, Babylon, Rome, you know, pick a country. They just with a straight face lied to Jesus. Amen. John, he lets us know, amen, that blood or race has nothing to do with the becoming a child of God. Amen. It's the new birth, right, that allows us to be a son or daughter of God. Amen. Not a fleshly birth, born of the Spirit. And not of blood, not of the will of man, not of anything that was manipulated or, or fathered by some human means. It was by God Almighty Himself. And no wonder John, who is going to tell us who we are, starts his book by telling us who he was. Amen. That he was not just the son of David or Abraham or Adam, but he was the son of God. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. And when we believed on him, he gave us the privilege. He gave us the authority, the legal standing to become a child of God. And if you're not sure how to become a child of God, then go back and watch Sunday's message. You must be born again. Because the first birth will never get you to heaven no matter how you were born. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Amen. That's all it will ever be. Amen. Well, I want to review these verses. John 1 and 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you can just know that you belong to God, that you're His child, and you became His child when you died in sins of repentance, when you were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible said we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. But I want to share just a few passages with you about our status before God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. 
For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. You see this theme? There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. That everything God promised Abraham comes straight to those of us who have been born of God, who are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul said in the church, there's no caste system. There's no class system in the church. Amen. In the eyes of God, we're all his children and we all have an equal standing before him. Now this doesn't negate authority structures that God established in his word. You always have to compare scripture with scripture. But when it comes to our value in the sight of God, our spiritual standing, he makes it very clear that being a Jew doesn't make you any better to God than being a Gentile. That being a free person back in that day or being a slave, it doesn't change anything. If you're a man or if you're a woman, to God, he loves you, he died for you, and you're his child, and you stand on even ground at the cross. Amen? Our value is the same before Jesus Christ. And he tells us that we are heirs of something really great. Now the Bible said that the Holy Ghost is the earnest, like earnest money, like a down payment of our inheritance. But the Holy Ghost is called righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is called joy unspeakable and full of glory. And all that is is a down payment. So what you're enjoying right now, don't wonder why you don't have everything. This is just to remind you of what you're going to have one day in eternity. This is just a little taste of what heaven will be like. Amen. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Romans 8 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now remember I told you Romans 8. This is a great chapter. The whole Bible is great, right? But I like Romans 8. Not any more than any other thing. I love it all. But I really like Romans 8. Because he's talking about the work of the Spirit in our lives. Verse 26, how it makes intercession for us, right? So he says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons, and the word is children, they are the children of God. Not male or female, but that word in the Greek that means children. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is like an affectionate term like Daddy. I want you to see what he says here. What would you be afraid of? If you keep reading through Romans 8, he speaks about who can condemn us, be against us, or separate us. You can be afraid that you'll be separated from God. But Paul says here in verse 15, 
that we don't have a spirit of bondage again to fear. That fear should not be a controlling influence in our life. That we would feel that God would abandon us or that God does not love us. That we are not his sons and daughters. It is the Holy Ghost that is the spirit of adoption. That has given us the privilege of sonship and daughterhood or whatever. That we are sons and daughters of God. And we can cry that he's my father. And he says there, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. When the Holy Ghost filled you, that spirit bore witness that you are a child of God. And we encourage people, I encourage you, other teachers and preachers, that you should stay full of the spirit, in touch with the spirit. Because that spirit continues to affirm in your life that you are a child of God. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. You are heirs of God. And he's not talking about Abraham's promises, but now you're the heirs of God and you are co-heirs or joint heirs with Christ. Amen. He's called, Jesus is called the firstborn among many brothers, right? Many brothers and sisters. If so be, Paul said, that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The apostle Peter would say, think it not strange concerning your fiery trial, which is to try you as if some strange thing has happened to you. And Paul says, that if you suffer with him, you're also going to be glorified together. And then, I spoke about perspective two weeks ago. Paul gives us perspective. For I reckon, that's why you know he was a southerner. I reckon. means I count it to be so. Like a reckoning. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There are sufferings of this present time. But when you try to compare them, in another place it's exceeding eternal weight of glory, our light affliction, which is for but a moment, right? It's not worthy to be compared with what God is going to do in us. Amen. We are the children of God. And He has given us the power, the authority, the right, the privilege. All of those are somewhat synonymous in that passage. The children of God, He's given us the power to become the children of God. John, this unique writer, writes deep in his epistles. Multiple times, I just did a quick search before church. My little children, I write unto you that you would send my little children, it is the last time. He uses this phrase maybe five or six times in his epistles. John, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons, the word is children, it's more generic, the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. And that's not really the focus of my message tonight. But the Bible said that we are dead and we are hid with Christ in God. And the people of this world do not know who we are. 
But when Christ shall appear, we also shall appear with Him in glory, right? So John is alluding to this same idea, that, that you're a child of God. And you've got this fabulous inheritance waiting for you in heaven. Now, the world doesn't know who you are. One place the Bible said we're the off-scouring of the earth. Paul said that. People look down on us and wonder why we would lead the lives we live. But we know why. Because he's given us the power to become the children of God. Verse 2. Beloved. Now are we the sons of God, the children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that we look through a glass darkly. That we know in part. And when the gifts of the Spirit operate, we, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So John is writing the same kind of an idea. That right now it doesn't appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. The Bible is clear that when you are a child of God, that you belong to Him and you have His favor on your life. I love the words spoken over Jesus at His baptism. When out of the water, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Him. And the voice from heaven said to Jesus Christ, before He ever worked a miracle, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I feel like it is important for us to understand that God has given us a right standing with Him. That He has cleansed us from our sins. That He has made us His own special people. Amen? And that if God looks down on His church with all of our flaws, with all of our challenges, dealing with our imperfections and the sufferings of this present time, that when God looks down on His children, just as He looked down on His beloved Son, I believe God says, those are my kids. I love them and I'm pleased with them. I don't see any sins in their life. They seem to be under my blood. Why don't we stand right now and would you thank the Lord that He has given you the power, the right to become a child of God. Would you thank Him right now? Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. We should never forget the promises of the Bible that He that has begun a good work in us, that He will perform it or He will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to abandon us. He doesn't leave you out there trying to do this on your own. You're His son. You're His daughter. He loves you more than you can fathom. Amen? Paul said in Romans 8 that if God spared not His own son, but delivered Him up for us all, 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he broke the bank, if he paid the price of his own precious blood, do you think he's going to cheat you out of something that you need from him? He paid that ultimate price. There's never a day in your life when your father is not looking down on you and saying, I love you. I'm pleased with you. You belong to me. And whatever you need. I love what the Bible said that He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. As we were worshiping, I... I thought of the verse in 1 Peter chapter 5 when Peter said that he's called us to his eternal glory that after you've suffered a while, he's going to strengthen you, establish you, settle you. We live in a really rough world. And I believe according to the Bible that as we continue to go toward the coming of the Lord, that the pressure is going to be on perilous times, all of those things the Bible says. But it does not matter how tough times become. The grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient for you. And as your days are, so shall His strength be. Your strength be. Satan is an accuser. John said that if our hearts condemn us, even our own consciences condemn us, that God is greater than our hearts. Hallelujah. We can go beating ourselves up, feeling like failures. But I want you to know that you are a child of God. And that when you believed on Him and when you received Him, His own people rejected Him. Can you imagine that the heart of God is overwhelmed with joy and love? That you accepted Him and received Him. And you allowed Him to change your life.